In my hands, I have the book The Whale Child, an amazing indigenous written and illustrated book about a whale child that becomes a human child to come to land and alert the people about the challenges our oceans are facing. On land, he meets a young Coast Salish girl named Alex, who learns from Shiny, the whale child, that the living spirit of water exists in everything, from glaciers, rivers, oceans, rain, plant, and our living creatures. Together, the two travel the earth, confronting the realities of a planet that is threatened by a certain future. Inspired by Shiny's hope, humor, and wisdom, Alex makes a promise to become a teacher for future generations. She realizes that the timeless indigenous value of environment stewardship is needed now more than ever and that we all must stand up on behalf of Mother Earth. This is an incredible story written and illustrated by indigenous author Kit Egua and Shinoa Egua that tells a story of the existing environment issues with a message of hope, education, sharing, and action. I can't wait for you to listen to my conversation with Kit and Shinoa. In matter of fact, I love this book so much that I wanted to send a couple copies of The Whale Show to listeners of this podcast. All you have to do is go to our new website, indigenousearth.org, and leave us a voicemail. On the short message, give us your name, what part of the world you're listening from, and what has been the most interesting thing you have learned from our podcast. I then would choose some random listeners to get a copy of The World Chow, and the voicemail will be heard on future episodes. So go to Indigenous Earth and leave us a message. And without further ado, here is Keith and Shinoa, writers of The World Child. My name is Shinoa Igawa, and I come from the Lummi and Sklalem peoples in the Pacific Northwest, the state of Washington, and am an author and an artist, singer, ceremonial person. I take care of some of our ceremonial ways, some of the wisdom and teachings, and that's uh, mainly it. And I'm Keith Agawa. I'm Shinoa's brother, and I'm also a writer um, and an artist. Um, I was predominantly an artist as a as a younger person, and then I kind of came back to it as Shinoa and I started working on these on these visual children's books, books for young people together. I've also done a lot of work in the field of social services, specifically for urban Native American families and children, like in the greater Seattle area, for example, as well as some of the, the reservations close by. That is amazing. And I'm, I'm so happy uh, to have you both, like I said, and and have a siblings, you know, that came together for a project. Me and my brothers, we always do projects together. And it's so great when we are able to work together to, you know, put something forward into the community. So it's awesome uh, what you're doing. And uh, you say the Pacific. And I was just wondering, what does it look like? Because, you know, I live in Orlando and here we have the, uh, the swamps, the Everglades, you know, the rivers. And I recently went to Arizona and I was like, wow, this is a desert. I was like so shocked. I was like, wow, there is a world outside the little swamp here in Orlando. So I, I, I just wondering, like, what does it look like where, where you guys are? So so we have eastern Washington and western Washington and eastern is actually it, it's very dry, hot almost you know nearly desert like temperatures the 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 environment is more plateau some plains and then you also get some pine forests 
And so Washington is, it's more or less divided by the, by the Cascade mountain range right down the middle. And so Western Washington, heavy, heavy rainfall, and it's very green. And so the, the Washington coast is, you know, that's on the Pacific ocean. But then you have the, the Straits of Juan de Fuca, which is a huge waterway, which leads into the, the Puget Sound. So the Puget Sound takes up a, a large portion of the, of the northwestern part of Washington where we, where we live. So, so with the rainfall, it's historically, historically been you know, predominantly rainforest, just huge tracts of dense rainforest, which you know, due to logging, you get a lot of patchwork now where if you drive from Seattle to say, you know, across the Olympic Peninsula to the ocean, you're gonna see these, these, these huge you know, tracts of clear cuts. But there's a lot of biodiversity in terms of flora and fauna and just really a rich resource area. That sounds like a, like a beautiful place to, to visit. It's beautiful. And especially right now, because we've had a lot of rain this year, you can tell that the climate's been changing for many years already. And sometimes we get a drought in the summer. And last year, actually around this time, we had temperatures that went over 100 degrees for several days in a row. And I was out walking on the beach and there were the shellfish were just cooked alive in their shells. It was so hot. But this year it has been raining almost every day and hard. And uh, when the sun comes out, like right now, it's just green, 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 green. And it's absolutely beautiful right now. Really pretty. That's awesome. I, I do want to visit uh, that part of the country. It looks so beautiful. And I think you capture so well on your book. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. So, you know, you have The, the World Child is a book that both of you uh, created that tells a story. I think you, you'll be able to tell a little bit more about what the book is about. So I don't know if you want to share that with us. So it's the story of Shiny, and he is a, a young whale. And after his birth, his mother takes him, you know, you know, throughout the oceans of the world on, you know, on their, their traditional migratory pathways. And, and she just basically shows him their world. But, but during the journey, she also begins to show him things that are things, negative things that are happening to the planet due to humans, you know, things like, you know, species extinction, you know, rising ocean temperature, et cetera. And so the spirit of the ocean decides to, to choose as shiny, to become a human boy for a brief visit on land so that he may teach a human girl about these things that that he's become aware of so that she can in turn become a teacher for other young people and start making human beings more aware that we're in a very critical place right now environmentally and that you know one people need to be aware of it and two they need to start making changes and taking action so in his short visit on land shiny imparts this understanding to this human girl alex and we integrate the teachings so the spirit of the ocean the spirit of the water in our indigenous teachings we know that the elements are alive and water is alive Many people nowadays have heard water is life just from some of the campaign, the different um, protests to pipelines going through territories and contaminating waters. And But water, the spirit of the water sees that this this young child that's a whale has the perfect ability to be this translator to say, hey, this is what 
this is the world that I come from, but I'm also, we were intending, this is like a, a spirit that has been on the earth before. And so it, as all of us, we have very wonderful gifts. Each person, each, each creature, each plant comes into the world with something specific that it's meant to do. And so this, um, the whale, the water spirit recognizes the whale child will be the perfect one to be transformed into a human and acknowledges that this, even though he's uh, from the ocean, that he's related to the beings on the land because we're all related, we're all interconnected. And so uh, when he meets the human girl, she's also a Coast Salish girl. And so her teachings from her people are uh, part of uh, the wisdom that she understands, but seeing it also in addition from the whale's perspective, as he swims through the ocean and on the migratory paths and sees firsthand underwater, something that we can't do as humans, then he tells her, this is, this is what I see. This is what's happening in my world. And we're family, you know, we need to help each other. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful story that really touched my heart because it goes in so many different layers about, you know, the teachings of taking care of the planet, but also, like you say, you know, our place in the whole cosmos, you know, I think that that's really cool image that of the kid, you know, coming out of the water. It was so beautiful to portray. And, and I really like that about the book. I got the, the paper copy is that the drawings really complement the story, you know. And, you know, my niece, she's a little bit younger, but she was able to kind of look at the pictures and I was kind of able to explain to her. And you mentioned earlier you, you were walking on the beach and you saw that the, the fish was being cooked because of climate change. Is that kind of like what the draw you to, to, to write the book is things that you're seeing around you? Yes, I mean, that was one. Uh, we were initially inspired to write the book by an, an actual event that happened through a dream my sister had about about the whales and the, the whale people. And, and so initially we knew that this was a dream that was connected to one of our family members and seeing that it's possible to have received these messages from other places, from other creatures, other beings that inhabit the planet. And, and so we were inspired at first to just say, okay, our children need to remember who they are and where they come from because they, we all come into this world in a very sacred way. It's, it's when you think about the birth, it's a very sacred thing. And the children are born wide open. They're born curious and loving and everything is exciting and interesting. And there's no, they're not born with judgment and criticism. And then as they grow, sometimes there's a, there's all the influences of society that infiltrate the mind and, and the way of life. And, and so Sometimes they end up going through a hard time when they get older because they kind of forget that sacred origin of how they were born. And so we thought we want our children to remember. We want the children in our family to remember and the children of the world to remember that they're special, they're sacred, they're important, each and every one of them. And, and then as our children in our family started growing up, we were just wondering, I'll let Keith talk to this part. Um, about how we were concerned for our, our children and what the world will look like. So Keith can answer this part. 
Yeah, yeah. So right in addition to what what Noah mentioned about that initial inspiration is is so we we you know we talked about that dream and we you know talked about the things that that she just addressed and and we thought you know we we need to we need to figure out a way you know because it's so evident that we're in an absolute crisis environmentally and that and that things have to change and even if even if we do make positive changes we're going to face some really serious challenges so we were thinking how can we how can we contribute to to that awareness and that change in people and and of course our minds naturally went to to the young people and the open-mindedness of children not to mention the fact that they're the ones who are going to be left with this they're the ones who are truly going to be living in you know whatever whatever is to come so so it's it's it was challenging in the sense that it it's a really you know it's a it's a dark topic it's a heavy frightening topic and so when we have conversations like this i imagine people think well how are you know how are you communicating this to kids without being overbearing without frightening them and overwhelming them and so and so that's how how that's why we decided to to deliver it in the way that the the whale child tells the story it kind of it kind of gently opens the door to the issue it shows kids you know these things are these things are wrong with the world because of human behavior here here's you know just a, here's some examples of bad things that are happening in the world and then here are some here are some ways that you can start making positive changes even as a child and then learn more and and continue to do more as you get older so so yeah the so the current state of state of the world was more than an inspiration we felt compelled to 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 do something and this was the this was the direction that we took the the responsibility right i, I mean i think if we each take responsibility yes. and whatever gift it is that each of us have and like w- what you're doing here frank with the podcast and opening up the dialogue and and ha- and talking with people and sharing it it's it's important that each one of us figure out a way of how we can contribute to the whole and so it's it's a responsibility as a person who's alive here on this earth and receiving from the earth receiving the plants and receiving the water and receiving the the breath of life the sun we're made of these things we're made of the earth we're made of the sky when we forget those things then we get disconnected and then there's a lot of um destruction that happens both inside of people and outside of people because it's a direct reflection outside is a reflection of inside and inside is a reflection of outside and so it's it was it does it's a responsibility it's like how are you going to use your voice everyone's voice is a gift too and so we all have a responsibility to i think especially in this day and age to figure out a way where our work in some capacity can bring healing to the planet either through the nature or through the people and that that should be a part of everyone's job now that there's changes that are coming and this would be something that would make a big impact if everyone just slightly altered their their work to benefit because we take 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 from the earth and we we aren't giving back and we know from our our teachings as indigenous peoples that there's reciprocity that you can't just take and take and take there's always an action of giving and receiving and giving and receiving and that's what makes everything continue to circulate if it's just one way then it it just kind of breaks everything 
So it needs to be circular, like the shape of the earth and the shape of the sun, the shape of the moon. They, you know, everything in, in nature is circular if you, if you start looking at it, you know. So, yeah, the responsibility to contribute in some way to the healing and the awakening of our hearts because the remembering is important and we all have this inside of us. And some of us just don't hear it as we grow up because it has not been a part of the school system. It's not a part of the educational system. It's not a part of dominant culture and the desire to sell us things and stuff. And, and so it's kind of in that way, sort of a deliberate action to keep us from recognizing the real relationship that we have to everything. We're not just this individual person walking around, we're completely interconnected with everything and everybody. And so how are we going to be, we have to change ourselves in order to change the world. Right. And and no matter how technologically advanced we are, um, no matter how clever human beings and our sciences, we, we need air to live. We need uh, palatable, you know, clean, drinkable water to live. We need, we need the, the species variation that the planet has in order to live. We need, you know, functioning soil, soil that's not depleted and toxic in order to live. So, so yeah, these, these connections to the earth, I think um, people's lives become so insulated with with technology and and easy access to our basic needs that that people don't really realize that no, that we are no matter how advanced we are we are fundamentally dependent on a healthy environment and no matter how we advanced we think we are we are we're going in the very wrong direction and perhaps we're not that advanced at all <laughs> that it's actually the ancient teachings that were more advanced and so there was a mis there was a, a mistake in the perspective of what was looked at as civilized and advanced, as opposed to the wisdom of living in a, in a harmonious, balanced way where you respect and honor everything in life, recognizing your direct relationship to it. And so, I don't know if we're that highly advanced or not, right. but we right. certainly could use the technologies that we've created in better ways to. deliver these messages and to have these conversations and to come together and and help each other. Because I do believe that as human beings of this planet, all together, there's a lot of wisdom. There's a lot of teachings that need to come to the surface and guide the way into the future from here, because we're seeing the the destruction of this other system. It's kind of crumbling down now. And, uh, and so what's going to rise up out of that? And I think that it has to be coming back to we are nature. We are nature. How are we going to demonstrate this and live in a good way with the earth that is so precious, so incredibly precious? And, and uh, those changes need to be guided by the wisdom, the cultures that contain the wisdom and the people that contain the wisdom of how to do that and it, it'll, it will be beautiful. So we tell our children that don't, you know, don't get sad, don't get worried. The changes that are coming can be beautiful because if we can restore this earth and, and restore our waterways and the, and the soils and the lands, and then it will be beautiful because it's going to be a whole new way of life. Maybe not all about the stress of your job and your finances and your, your fame and your status. And it's going to be about 
community and family and learning how remembering how to gather from the land and how to give back to the land. And, you know, just it's, it's going to be something beautiful if we can really do it. Yeah, it's, it's so many good points that both of you mentioned. And w- one thing that kind of really jumps to me, what you said is that the book is so hopeful with the message of, you know, taking care of the earth and seeing the problems, but not getting people with despair. Because, for example, I do a lot of cleanups. We go to different rivers and lakes and people keep sending me images of animals getting hurt. And I always say, like, don't send me those things. I don't want to see it. Send me the solutions. Send me like pictures of people doing cleanups. Those are the things I want to see. And this book is so nice because it's really gentle. It's almost like a grandmother that is talking to you and instructing you. And I, I love the spirit of the book so much. And, and I meant to ask you, there is a character, the uh, Bofo had. He was my favorite character in the, on the book more than, than the, the world child and the girl. And I just want to know more about him. Like, what is what is his backstory? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and Shanoa, you can add add to this too. Okay. I, I, I love the Bufflehead character. So just on a real simple level, that's an animal that I really love. The the Bufflehead ducks, they're just amazing, these tiny little guys. But so so with with the whale child, with Shiny, so he's really obviously, you know, a voice from nature. You know, he magically became a human from a whale. We know that he's a whale you know, through this magic of nature, through this power. But so with Bufflehead, you know, he's much more subtle. So Alex, Alex, not only can she not hear him speak initially, she doesn't, she doubts that he really can't. She doesn't even think it's real. So, so when you think about, you know, stories from all over the world, you know, animals communicating with people is, is, you know, an ever present, an ever present thing. And, 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 and a lot of people's stories. So, um, so over time, as as Alex starts to realize that Bufflehead really is communicating, so he he symbolizes that, like Shiny, the the voices from nature, the messages from nature, but you the ones that you you have to really pay attention in order to hear. You have to be open it open to it. You have to be seeking it out as a, and so that's why in the end, you know, Alex has made this journey to now she understands, she's aware, she knows what she needs to do. And now she can also hear the voice of Bufflehead. And I'll add to that because I I always think that in the communication, you know, we think of communication as speaking words, right? But when I think our people and all people that lived with nature in a harmonious way before colonization and modernization and industrialization happened, we were more in our in our body and more in our senses. And we would smell the, the plants and the flowers and we would hear the sounds and there wasn't so much distraction. We weren't so busy and we weren't so stressed. So there was naturally a more presence about our way of life. And, and the people who are spiritually in tune can hear we 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 all have we all have that ability i don't want to say some people have it and some don't i think some have it opened and some are waiting to open it because we all have the ability but when you stop listening and you stop seeing what's really there 
like taking things for granted and overlooking them because your mind is running away over here. And so you're not really present and you don't really see and feel. And then you, then you miss those communications. One example I can give you is I I just remember the first time when I was making a prayer to the, to the water And then as I was outside and then it it started raining and now it happens a lot. It happens a lot. And so they, the nature will acknowledge you and say, you know, you know, give you some sign that says, I, I, I'm hearing you. I see you, you know, here, you know, I'm, I'm going to fall this rain upon you and you're going to know that I'm, I'm talking to you, communicating. And so I feel like the, you know, in our ancient stories, the animals did talk. They did, they say they did speak the language of the people. And then there was a, there were different things that happened in that creation story where the animals decided to be the ones that would help the humans. And so the humans became like the, the, the dominant species, but there were these rules that had to be acknowledged to for the animals to continue to come and to feed the people and to help the people and the plants to come and help the people. We had to honor them and respect them in a certain way, only take what we needed, not take too much. And so it's, it's that relationship again, and the ability to just be quiet. Like in the book, we talk about that to be, be, let your mind be still and listen and feel and close your eyes if you need to. And, you know, you know, so it's like bring yourself into that deeper awareness. And so that's kind of what the Bufflehead's talking about too. With her, she's able to, she's able to communicate with him as she becomes more in tune to what's going on. So she, her, her level of awareness now is, is greater than when she began. And now she's hearing how to communicate with the natural world. Yeah. So as that connection between her and Bufflehead grows stronger, that symbolizes, right, that she is she is becoming more in tuned with everything around her, with her environment, with the world. Yeah, it was beautiful. How his parts, for some reason, really spoke to me, his character. And in my mind, I was like, man, this would be an amazing animated series. So you probably thought about this. I don't know if Netflix you're hearing. You make this a show. This is this is such a good story that is so visual when you're reading, you know, like I could really see like the, the images and the traveling in my mind. And I mean, the, the beautiful pictures that, that come with it is, is, is amazing, too. Can you tell me more about those those drawings that comes with the book? We both worked on the drawings together and we started out um, with basic idea. And then we, we kind of as the story progressed we would get back together and we would meet with each other and we would, we would say, Oh, for this part, I can see this. I can see something like that. And then we would, we would each take on different drawings. And then it it was kind of just coming together that way. It wasn't like we had the whole thing decided on how the beginning and the end would be in the middle. So the, the pictures came with our own imagination and our own visualization as the story opened. Yeah. And, and it's funny because, yeah, like like Shaw was saying, we would we would draw and paint on our own and then we would get together and 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 look at what we had done. And, you know, how with like with visual things with with like movies and TV, how they do storyboarding, well, they'll illustrate every scene. throughout. Well, we would just 
just be at home, just pay, you know, we'd read the book, we'd, we'd think something would occur to us, you know, a, a visual from one of the scenes and we would just start painting it. And then we would get together and we would have just all of this stuff without consulting with each other. I mean, we did consult, but we did a lot of painting just off the cuff because we were just inspired to do it. So we actually ended up with a lot of pictures that aren't, aren't in the book. There's probably at least as many that aren't in the book, right? Shanoa, that as there are in the book, but yeah, so the, so the, that process was really fun because then when we would see what we'd each done, then we would actually talk it out and be like, okay, wouldn't it be great if there was an image of, of such and such. And, and then, you know, one of us would, would choose to go home and give that picture a shot. And yeah, it was a really fun process. And I, on the note about a visual animation, we've totally saw that too. We were thinking, oh my gosh, this, maybe this will be a movie or an animated story. And even before we got published, I was saying, well, if we don't, let's do this. Let full soundscape audiobook with the images and we can kind of make it like an old fashioned movie, you know, with all the putting all the drawings together. And then we ended up getting published and we just finished the audiobook three weeks ago or four weeks ago, something like that. And, and I hope it does happen because it would be a really good series and a way to continue to address uh, the issues that are at hand An educational series for kids that would be engaging and inspiring and help them to see what solutions there are and, and how to have the humor in there too. And it, it would be great. Yeah, and the, the audiobook is pretty good too. It's just phenomenal to be able to listen to the spoken word and, you know, having that book come to life in that uh, style. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, you also have the audiobook available for people to be able to listen to. And one thing that, that kind of really jumps to me when I was reading the book is that I felt like there was so many traditional knowledge that was kind of inserted into the book and here and there you'd be like this kind of sounds like a traditional knowledge and can you tell me more about your experience about you know bringing those maybe oral traditions into the uh, book yeah so we we did bring a lot of teachings in and just looking at how can we help explain through our traditional knowledge through the stories the oral tradition usually for for the people to see that this is this is how the world is from another perspective and and so we would always try and add in all of those teachings and one in particular that i'm thinking of is with the salmon scene in uh, one of the later chapters and they're where they're talking about the teachings but the little girls talking to the whale child too about what her grandparents told her about the, the the size the salmon used to be and how, you know, how to fish in a way that you're in balance with, with the, that species, you know, the, the salmon people. That you, yeah. That you don't take too much that you, that you help the people who can't help themselves. And so you, you provide for the people in your community who need help and, and you respect and honor those those fish and recognize the gift of something else giving its life to sustain you that there's a there's a responsibility and and a sacred connection there that needs to be upheld so it was it was an intentional thing to to bring that part into the the book too and that was one of my favorite parts of the the book is just reading all those traditional knowledge 
uh, passed down in a way that, you know, really inspire you to take care of the planet. And both of you, I know that you've been on the environment movement for a long time, you know, working to protect our planet. Can you tell us about your experience, you know, the different projects you have done in the past? One of the things I did, so I went, I speak Spanish and I work, worked with a lot of the, the indigenous peoples from the North, Central and South America, especially, but also at the United Nations and the, the Earth Summit in Rio back in 92 and looking at ways of, of coming together with other indigenous peoples and sharing what was going on in, in our communities. One time we went to Chile and, and stood in support of the Mapuche and Puenche trying to stop one of the large scale dam projects in their traditional territories. And you also see the, the history of what has happened with this process of, of colonization throughout the world. And what I could see is that here in the United States, it happened a little earlier than in Central and South America in some places. And then, and then the effect was the same as we went through the, so it's almost like a repetition of history keeps happening. It's in Australia too, in, in New Zealand, in different countries in Asia, in India. I mean, it's been pretty much everywhere in the world because there were indigenous peoples everywhere, right? And so I feel like um, the work that we've done here recently is more in the Salish Sea, uh, which is is the name for, our waterways that are called the Puget Sound in the English language, but it's known as the Salish Sea to all the Coast Salish people and protecting this sea and looking at the, the orcas that are having a really hard time surviving one of the, the pods that are local residents to the region and how uh, the dams along the Columbia River between Washington, uh, Oregon and Idaho are those dams have prevented the Chinook salmon from surviving. And though that's the main food source for the orcas. So then, the, so this just kind of what we addressed again in the book about the you, one species suffering and then you, the, all the species that are connected to that species through the, through the, the food chain and they, they all are have it being impacted. So, but also you look at the Salish Sea And the Salish Sea is not just a swimming pool. It, it, it doesn't have borders. It doesn't have barriers. Nature does not have borders and barriers. Only humans have borders, barriers, and walls. So in our humanness, we like to create, you know, this is the border between Canada and the United States, but actually we have indigenous peoples who lived on both sides of that. There, were no, there was no border that was an artificial creation. And so the water that has traveled in the Salish Sea has been all around the world, how many thousands of times in the glaciers, in the rain, in the, in the rivers, in the, in the water tables beneath the ground. And, you know, and, and water keeps circulating, air keeps circulating, everything is moving. And so in that way too, we can see that everything is connected and we, we have to, uh, bring ourselves back into that connection and open our minds and open our hearts and take kind of take the borders and barriers and blockages out so that we can see and, and see that together we have this life. We're not just, there's not just the water doesn't just give itself to some people. 
or to some animals and some plants and then say, oh, I don't want to give it to you guys because I don't like you guys. (laughs) (laughs) And so there's a generosity and there's an inclusiveness of the earth. And I think that that's also a quality that many people do have. But I think it, it's needed more in the world to to. And that's part of our tradition as well, is that you, you know, the, the guests that come into your life, into your home, you take care of them and you make them feel welcome. And, you you know, you you want them to come back and you want to have a good relationship and you want them to be fed and you want them to have water. And, you know, and so I think it's important to look at the the man-made barriers from languages and cultures and countries and 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 that is all artificial that is all for some other reason to benefit a few people and kind of leave everyone else out and we need to take care of our resources that we have they're not i don't even like to call them resources that's like an american uh, word that is that's inaccurate it's not a, just a resource it's a living it's a living thing with a purpose that is part of the whole in order for it to be good for all of us. It, that thing has to be there too. You know, everything has its place. Everything has its part. I'm learning so much just from the, the brief time that I'm talking to all of you. And I was just thinking like, you know, what would you say would be a good word of advice that people listening to this podcast can do from home to protect our planet. So, you know, we have people all over the world to listen to this podcast. What would you say is like one thing they can do to leave this world a better place? Well, one, one step in, in the process that I, that I would, you know, highly recommend that's just so crucial is that, that step of information of, of, of figuring out, am I aware? Am I aware of, of the state of the planet? Am I aware of the problems that we're, we're actually already facing that are getting worse? So, so I would recommend that, that education, that, that seeking out, you know, specific, specific information about, you know, things that are happening locally, things that are happening in the, in the next state over and the next country over in the ocean and just expanding that that understanding of what is actually happening and then that begins to motivate you to to figure out things that you can do and so you can talk more about this too but but one of the first steps is is just is just day-to-day thinking about consumption thinking about how much we consume and the waste that's connected to it when you think of how everything is individually plastic wrapped, we we throw everything away after and after one, you know, in some countries are better and worse than others. But 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 in general, we throw so much away. We don't reuse things. We we create, you know, extra packaging when it's unnecessary. And, and to go to the story, the water bottle example is a really good one where you just see those empty water bottles everywhere. And and also when I when I speak of, you know, seeking out information, we know that there are literally like, you know, islands of plastic in the ocean the size of states. I and mean, it's it's surreal. It's the extent is so huge. So so that would that would be a first step. But and, and like we try to convey in the story, it's it really is there isn't any, you know, one or two or three things you can do. You the the 
the change has to be really significant, but it is good to start with small things and become more and more aware and then do, do more as you can do more. But yeah, that, yeah, I would, I would say, I would say start with, with information, with learning more. Right. And I think I had this one example because I, when I was in Guatemala, I, I went to this village, I went to many different villages at Mayan villages. And um, in one, there was just, there was just plastic everywhere. And we were talking about it, like what, what's going on with all this, you know, the, it's all over, it's just all over the ground. Well, it was really recent at that time when I was there that plastic was introduced at the markets. So everybody would go to the market, everybody, so many people still do go to the market for their food, but you would have just a basket that you would put all your food in, and you would buy it fresh regularly and you would buy it locally and seasonally from the people around you. And there was no plastic at all. And then somewhere somebody brought in plastic and thought that was a good idea. Well, before plastic, everything was biodegradable. And so people would throw their biodegradable, the skins of the peels of the food or whatever on the ground into the earth and it would biodegrade. And there was no distinction about the plastic because there was no awareness of what this substance is and that it ne never biodegrades. And so it was just natural to put it onto the ground because that's where everything else could go and become soil again. And I think in our country in the, in the, and in the first world countries where we produce so much of the packaging, like sometimes I go into the store now and the green beans are wrapped in this thick plastic bag. And I'm like with handles and I'm like, why are you guys doing this? <laughs> you know what? And so I think looking at how can we get our own hands in the soil? How could we start nurturing a seed and see what it feels like to grow our own food? And, and so it's going to be about community too. It's going to be about becoming community again and having community gardens and ha helping each other to see that we don't need all this, these things, make things with your hands. You don't need to have, you know, so much of stuff that you just need to keep buying and buying more. And I think the water, where does your water come from? Um, it comes, we say to the kids, you know, oh, you know, where does your water come from? They say it comes out of the faucet, you know, and no, where, where does it come from? Where is this water coming to you from? Is it from the mountains? Is it from the groundwater? If you, you know, get to know your water system, get to know your own watershed and then study what's happening along the way. What is, in, what is being added into the water on its journey to your home? if you're lucky enough to have water at your home, because there's still people in this country who, who haul their water. I'm thinking on some reservations in, in the United States, some people still go to the water well and haul their water. They do not have running water to this day in this country. And in many parts of the world, it's that way, but there's more respect that way too. Like just having things given to us and I, you know, the fire, that's the other thing we, the connection to the fire, that's the, the, one of the most elder of the grandparent, the, the grandfather fire uh, that carries the wisdom of the existence of all life on earth. And now we just have electricity 
and we turn up our heater and we have no relationship to the element of the fire, the spirit of the fire. And so we just crank our heat up or crank our air conditioning and we're, we don't think about where this energy is coming from. And so, and then seasonally, you know, how do we live more seasonally? Is this food coming from way over there on the other side of the planet to come here? What is growing in our area? Kind of like being more local. I mean, there's, it's just kind of endless. I'm sorry. There's not really one thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. That's the thing. It is that that's kind of, Kind of what I was trying to get at is it really is endless. And that's why what's important is the starting point for a person to say, this is important. I need to know more about it and then I can figure out things that I can do. But but also to go back to your question about, you know, just simple advice. And this kind of this relates to what what Chanel was getting at is is also the the use of water and how no people don't really think about the value of it and now the scarcity of it. And the and the droughts we're facing. When you think of someone like if you wash watch a person washing dishes and the faucet is just running the whole time and it is literally just gallons of water going straight from the faucet into the sewer. And and think of how precious it really is. And this and here's the one that really epitomizes it for me. It's just one example, but it really is the epitome of of just somehow being disconnected from how valuable water is around here you see a lot of you know maintaining lawns you know just thousands of gallons of water to have a golf course looking patch of grass in front of your house or around your house and it, and it really just blows my mind and i and i don't understand it but but it's it's just that not thinking, that not being aware. And yeah, I, I, that that's, that's, so when you ask about things, you know, to, to tell people initially, it's just to notice things like that and then realize the repercussions of it. You know, thousands of gallons of water. So you have a green lawn. And look it up because I we, we were talking about that when we were writing the book too, because we were thinking, what all do we want to put in there? And so I looked up when green lawns started happening and all the fertilizers that are thrown onto the grass in order to make it that way. And it was part of the golfing industry. So that was like a new great thing when golfing came, you know, to to have a lawn that looks like a golf course. So you're throwing the chemicals. Also thinking about the soaps that we use, you know, like some of those really smelly laundry detergents and everything is going back into the water system. And so the more chemicals and even the, the drugs that people are taking, the pharmaceuticals that people are taking are being found in the water that we drink now. So it, everything is connected. And so if you follow one thing, it will lead you to everything because everything is connected. So you start somewhere. That's why we say take one smart step in the right direction and the next will come much easier. So if you follow the water and then you, everything, it, the water will show you everything that's going on in all the places. So you just have to start somewhere. And yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, but a lot of good work to be done. Yeah, I'm so glad that y'all mentioned water because to me, water is so important. I know that I'm happy when I'm around water. I know that when I drink water, I just feel refreshed. And I did a short film about water conservation that won a prize. And it was kind of really 30 seconds talking about, you know, just closing the tap when you're brushing your teeth. 
but I remember just seeing the comments of people leaving on YouTube. But they were saying like, no, what's the point of like conserving water? Because it's just going to go out to the ground and it's going to go over to the cloud and back to the water. Kind of like a drawing that we do in school of like the water cycle. But the problem is that the water cycle is broken. You know, it doesn't work like that because... We contaminate the water, like you mentioned, and that water does not go up to become fresh water again. And also our number one crop that we water, it's lawn. It's something that we not even eat. And those lawns are biological dead zones that butterflies don't go to and hummingbirds and bees. And if you look at my house, it's not that good looking, but I see a whole bunch of wildlife on it and that makes me happy. Yep. Right, right. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. Lawns aren't are ecosystems. <laughs> it's literally, it's one strain of grass imported from somewhere else. It, I mean, it's completely an artificial life form. Yeah. There's no, there's no significant life within a lawn at all. And like Shanella mentioned, the there, there are lakes that are completely dead from the, um, is it nitrogen? or I mean, nitrogen, possibly other, you know, chemicals that are in the fertilizers, you know, you know, causing this unbelievable like algae blooms or, or things related to that, that choke off all the oxygen to the lake. And so these amazing thriving ecosystems are literally dead lakes. And, and, you know, some of that is tied directly just to lawn care. And so there's a couple of things, I don't know how long we have, or we don't have to use all of this, but <laughs> I used to work with the International Rivers Network when I went down to South America and they were talking about the POPs and the PCBs. So it's all the pollutants and contaminants that circulate circulate around the northern and southern poles. And so even they were wondering why do the uh, caribou in the Arctic Circle have cancer? And it's because the highest concentration of the chemicals from all of our way of life they circulate around the earth and then they go to the poles and then they go, they fall in the poles. And so even out there in the most remote area, you would think that they would still be healthy, but they're not, they're, they're, they're caribou have cancer. And uh, we have that down here too, with our deer and our elk. And, and then the other thing that Keith was saying the other day to me was there's no insects around, like, where did all the bugs go? And you know, when's the last time you cleaned bugs off your windshield? Not, not that that's good. We're out killing them with our windshields, but, but no bees hardly at all this year. No bees, not even mosquitoes, not even, not that you would wish for those, but you know, they're part of it too. And then there's no other pollinator. I haven't seen them this year. And so I know that these things that we can, some of them we can see and some of them we can't see, but they're, everything's affecting the whole. And so I, I look at, you know, one of those solutions too, like what, what, how, what's to learn about the permaculture and the way of planting that invites the pollinators and that, it, that cares for multiple species in one small patch of area that you can, you can invite them in and give them some life too, you know, and it's, that's a scary thing. You know, I don't know where all the, and the birds, you know, you, there used to be so many millions and millions and millions of birds. And, and so children don't grow up knowing that. And so we have to remember the history. I think this is also important. We, we have to know our history in order to know 
where we're at and where we're going to go because history keeps repeating itself over and over and over again. And, you know, if we're going to say we're evolved humans, we should be over, over going to war by now. You know, where is our, where is our intelligence about sitting down and talking with one another and controlling our emotions and seeing our commonality and being able to find solutions together? What, a lot of the leadership, this is another subject, but it's like spoiled children that never had to listen to anybody. It's like, we need to teach our children. This is how you communicate. This is how you, you can listen to each other. This is how you can express your own heart. This is how you do this. This is how you come to agree with one another and understand each other and listen to the, the diversity of perspectives that we carry from all cultures that is the richness of being alive. It's our diversity in nature and our diversity as people that is the wealth. When we try to make everybody the same, that's when it's, it's you know, one of our teachings, they say, don't teach everyone the same thing because then we won't need each other. Everybody needs to have their thing that they bring to the table. And then it's just like a rich ecosystem of wisdom and knowledge and teachings. And we still have that. We just, we need to bring it together and we need to share it across cultures. It's, that's what time we're in, I think. Yeah, for sure. And congratulations again uh, on your book. Uh, phenomenal uh, job. I'm so excited to have talked to both of you. This book is going to be a big part of my life from now on. And I hope that other people are able to also read it and, and get the insights uh, from it. And I have a friend, he's a young man, a Navajo, that he also wants to write a children's book about traditional plants. And he's been talking about this for a long time. And both of you are accomplished writers that got published. You know, what would you tell him for him to be able to write his own uh, book? Just start writing down your ideas, you know, get a basic story idea. It may change. You might have many ideas. And as you begin to do that writing and reworking it, you know, you'll you'll know which direction, you know, which which story is the right one. I would say share it with people whose whose opinions you respect, who might have good as you can see their reaction to it. They might have good feedback to to help you, you know, keep fine tuning that story to say what you want to say and express what you want to express. And and just be ready to keep putting it through, you know, draft after draft, because it's 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 a process. It's a process of writing, stepping back, looking at it again, seeing where you can you can make improvements, hearing what other people think of it and taking that that into account. So, yeah, it's, it's a long process and you just keep keep sticking with it. And some of those stories like the 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 traditional stories, they're, they're like, they're, they're not written. I was going to say they're already written, but they're, they're so complex and, and detailed that if you know those stories, you can put them down. But the tricky part with that is the putting out traditional knowledge and then opening it up to places where, you know, maybe don't tell people where all those plants grow because we have a way of just going out there and, and then now everybody wants those plants, you know, and then they're gone, you know? So like up here, we have families will, they have their harvest areas and they don't really talk about where they're at. And, and then some plants are more common, but I think, and then just talking with other native authors and helping each other because 
we would say we would totally give him a, a reference to the publisher that worked with us. And we were given a reference by a friend to that publisher who was published before us. And so it, we help each other too. you know, this is what we did, you know, contact us and, and we'll share the information with you. And, and that story probably needs to be told because it probably contains many important wisdoms and teachings. I imagine coming from the Diné people that there's a lot of wisdom there that is, could be helped, help the world to share that. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll definitely uh, tell him he, he, he'll be very happy. And how can people connect with you uh, both and learn more about the book? Is there a website or a place they can go to? The book is available on Penguin Random House under The Whale Child. It's also available on Amazon and Audible has the audiobook. and North Atlantic Books is the publisher and they would have information and then I have a website, swanclan.com. So S-W-A-N-C-L-A-N.com. And that would have a way to get in touch with us as well. All right. And uh, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. It's been amazing to speak to you both. I think we could have gone 10 hours and not even scratched the surface uh, of everything that is going on with our world, with our planet. But uh, I just want to say thank you again. This is an amazing book. I'm reading to my niece. She's loving it. And I highly recommend it to anybody that wants to know more about indigenous knowledge, but also a heartfelt human story about taking care of the planet that is really told on a really heartwarming way. So I highly recommend the book. And thank you so much again for uh, talking to me. Thank, thank you. Craig. Really thank appreciate it. It's a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you.